Hello, and welcome to the Antioch Fort Worth weekly podcast. At Antioch, our desire is to cultivate a passion for Jesus and his purposes on the earth. To connect with us in community, partner with us through giving, or visit on a Sunday morning, please visit AntiochFortWorth.com. Hey, what's up? Uh, my name is Isaiah. And I, like Graydon was saying, <laughs> I work with the youth, and it is a great day for me. Uh, this is my first Father's Day, uh, so I, I, Lauren was reading that first paragraph. I was like, I don't need to say anything else to this morning. She like preached the whole word, uh, blessing our child. So I hope you were blessed. I hope you were listening because it was really, really good. Um, so it's my first Father's Day, but also today is. Juneteenth. And uh, I'm going to talk a lot about fatherhood in the next few moments, but I wanted to just explain what Juneteenth is. And it's an amazing day to celebrate. Juneteenth is short for June 19th because that was the date that black Americans that were enslaved in Galveston, Texas in 1865 received word that they were free citizens in the eyes of the law. Two years after the Emancipation Proclamation, nearly 90 years after the United States was founded with the ideals of freedom from tyranny and equality, black Americans got to enjoy a piece of those ideals. Now, church, I want you to hear what I'm saying. Africans and black Americans were enslaved. They weren't slaves. And I'm going to be speaking a lot about how it's really important about how you put identity on people. And... um, I just, I want you to know that it wasn't the general or the president that gave enslaved people value. God gave that value, and then they recognized it. (laughs) Enslaved parents preached the value first, then the law came under what God had already said. Juneteenth is a day of freedom and jubilee, but it's a perfect example of the now and not yet reality that we as Christians live in. Because in June, June 19, 1865, everything didn't become perfect. There was Jim Crow for another 99 years, and then that was when the Civil Rights Act was uh, done here in the United States in 1964. And we all know that the laws don't change hearts. But relationships and stories do, so it takes time. And, and don't get me wrong, I'm so happy that the laws are changed. I'm happy to be a black man in 2022, let me tell you, because I wouldn't be able to be married to that girl over there if, if just a few years before, and I wouldn't have that little girl. So I'm happy to be where I'm at, don't get me wrong, but I'm overjoyed that we have the opportunity to hear and understand each other's stories and experiences in the body of Christ. And I believe that the church is the best place to hear those stories. So God has blessed us with a multi-ethnic family around the whole world here in this city and here in this city to learn how to seek, know, and celebrate each other. I want you to experience Juneteenth as a time of freedom and joy, but also compel you to seek and understand that we, all people, are created in the image of God. And we in the church get to walk in freedom with each other. And again, as we saw earlier today, it's, it's my first Father's Day. And thinking about Father's Day, I, I, was, uh, I came to this realization in February. It was my birthday, and I realized that Juneteenth and Father Day, Father's Day was on the same day. And Graydon knows this. Ever since then, I have been bugging him 
Every time I see him to say, hey, if I get to preach on one Sunday, I want to preach on this day. And I, and I was, I was, I was, Graydon wasn't deciding on who preached, but I was just telling him to pray, pray that in, pray it in, pray it in. Because if, if I, if I don't get to preach on any other Sunday, Micah, um, it's also not Micah. I want to keep saying that. Um, if I don't get to preach on any other day, I wanted to preach today. I wanted to preach uh, today. And so this message is for dads, but it's also for spiritual fathers. Like, if I would have shared this word last year, it still would have been a good word, because I've been a disciple of youth for a really long time. I've been a, they call me dad over there. So, um, so if I'm a, I've been a spiritual father for a while, but it's also, it's also a, a picture for moms and spiritual mothers, because fathers don't exist without mothers. Let's just, let's just get that out there. Let's just get that out there. Fathers don't get, exist without mothers. And sir, you came from a woman. So um, it's very important. It's very important to highlight that. And we parent socially. We understand God's heart for us by looking at both fathers and mothers. And this passage has a lot of sons in it. But daughters, y'all are God's children as well. And the sons in this story represent both daughters and sons. So with the backdrop of Juneteenth, Father's Day, my own story, we're going to go to Luke 15, and we're going to talk about the two lost sons, and the title of the message is going to come up behind me, Freedom That the Father Brings. Freedom That the Father Brings. Uh, so let's just pray to start. Lord, just thank you so much for the fathers in this room. Thank you, Lord, for the fathers that have decided to be in their child's life. Because children all around the world grow up without their dad. So if you're a dad in this room, I bless you that you have been in your child's life. And I bless you to continue to do that. And Lord, I pray for my friends who have father wounds, Lord. I pray for them that if they don't hear anything that comes out of me, that they hear that you love them. And that you're for them. And that you have given them freedom and liberty. And Lord, I pray for a fresh encounter with Father God. Lord, I pray that there are people who walk away this morning and they know that you are their father. They know that they are loved and adored by you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I'm just going to read through the parable. I'm going to be pointing out little things. I'll share some like practical tips at the end. Uh, but just kind of sit back, get comfortable. It'll be fun. I will talk to y'all, and I will expect a response. Um, so the main thing is that the freedom that the father gives is rooted in the identity he puts on his children. Let's say that again. The freedom that the father brings is rooted in the identity he puts on his children. So let's start this story. Luke 15, 11 through 32. He also said a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So you distribute the assets to them. I have to pause here. Uh, this is not a happy beginning to a story. If you don't understand anything about this culture, if this younger son is saying, hey, I want the estate, he's essentially saying you're dead to me, dad. Because the estate would not come to him unless the father was gone. And it's not a light moment. An inheritance would only come to his father 
from with the father passing away. And the compassionate father doesn't rebuke his son, but he is patient with him. You see what he does? He, he gives the estate to the younger son. So the first question I have for, for us in the room is, are we patient when our kids rebel? Or are we patient when our kids disobey? Are we patient with them? Are we patient to see them, even though we know that something might um, come, bad, come bad at the situation? Are we, do we, are we patient and are we trusting that God's going to lead us in wisdom? So we're going to keep going through the story. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his, his estate and foolish living. After he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his fill from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. So in other words, the younger son goes to Vegas. And he gets all the likes on his Instagram stories of his wild adventures. But the money dries up and he loses it all. All of the father's possessions have been wasted in his lifestyle. So then the son decides to sell himself into slavery, guys. Because he thinks that being a slave would be better than turning back to his father. And I don't think it was all pride. I think he might have thought of himself as a slave because he clearly doesn't understand sonship. That's why he leaves at the beginning of the story. So he doesn't even understand being a child of the father. So maybe slavery is all he knows. And what could, be, what could he be a slave to? Maybe self-sufficiency? Maybe looking successful? Maybe the law? I thought this was interesting. He doesn't eat what the pigs are eating. Maybe because it's not slop and you just wouldn't do that. But uh, maybe it's because pigs have touched it. So he's too much in his religion to even grab something to eat and help him survive. And how do we do the same thing? Self-sufficiency, we don't ask for help when we're in tough situations. I've had to learn how to ask for help being a new dad, let me tell you. I've, I've had to learn how to ask for help. Because that baby's blowouts, man, it's just, it's nasty. Y'all tried to tell me it was, I wasn't prepared for it. I wasn't prepared for it. Uh, like, <laughs> Another, another way that we do this is like sometimes maybe our Instagram lives are better than our actual lives and we want to look successful. That's why we post the cute pictures of Eliana and not the blowouts. <laughs> and some of us have misled convictions about how God is working and moving in our lives and that we will, we will not go to where he wants us to do for provision because we've had a misunderstood conviction. And it seems like the younger son is also digging in his heels, and maybe it's because the younger son is embarrassed and brought to shame by his actions. I've seen this discipling youth. Sometimes students will continue to go down a wrong path, not because they, they don't understand that it's wrong, is that they're so embarrassed to turn back. So when you think about the younger son, don't just think of him as this like disobedient uh, man-child, look at him as maybe he's sitting there and he's embarrassed. He's embarrassed of, of what he has done. And I can't be the only one that struggles with that in the room. Because I do that. 
Has anyone been there? Raise your hand. Make a shout. Do something. Have you, has anyone been there that you are like, I, I can't have that time with the Lord because of what I did? And then you just continue to do that over and over and over and over and over again. You look up one day, you're three months, and you haven't even opened your Bible. And that's the embarrassment that sometimes happens. Uh, but the, the father, the father, I don't want to reveal it, but the father does something really cool. If you know this story, you know what happens. Um, he goes from getting his, his inheritance from his father to no one giving him anything. So let's see what happens next. When he came to his senses, when he stopped believing the lies about his life, he said, how many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food? And here I am dying of hunger, dummy. I'll get up, go to my father and say to him, father, I'm, I've been the dummy. Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. So he got up and went to his father. This is major. Remember how this story started. He told his dad he was dead to him. So this is not getting the name on the side of the building with dear old dad. This is resurrecting a relationship. He's got to turn around and resurrect the relationship. My kid is saying amen. Um, he knew that his, but he knew that his father was a safe place. He knew that his father was a safe place, that he can turn back to his father. He might have really screwed up, but he knows. And do we see our father as a safe place when we screw up? Do we, do we look back on him and we think, no, my image of God, the way that I grew up, the way that I believe God is that God is this person who just totally like disregards sin. He doesn't even look at it. If, I, if I've done anything in my life, I can't come to God until I get clean. That's so not true. Because you even knowing that you've done anything wrong came from the Holy Spirit. So that doesn't even make any sense. There's nothing good in us that we're going to even reveal that, that, that we've done something wrong without God coming in our lives and revealing that. So I just want to break that religious spirit this morning. Break that chain. God loves you. He is for you. He is a safe place to go. So the younger son is returning. Can you imagine this? With every step he takes, his head is sinking lower and lower and lower. I'm sorry, Dad. I messed up. I'm sorry, Dad. I messed up. I'm sorry, Dad, I messed up. And he doesn't know what his dad's going to do. But let's see what he does. But while the son was still a long way off, this is the passage, while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran through his arms around his neck and kissed him. This is not what we expect from this story. There's a lot of ways this is not what we expect. I'm going to break it down. The, the compassionate father has been waiting for his son to, to return. He's probably been on the porch since the last day he left. This isn't a social media culture. We don't have a... a <laughs> My in-laws use this thing called Life360 where they can track people and their family. It's very funny that they do this. Um, but that's not this culture. 
That's not this culture. He doesn't know where his son is. So if he was able to see him from a long way, he must have been sitting down at the front of his house waiting for his son to return. And it couldn't be for 30 minutes. It had to be a long time. The compassionate father runs to his son. Fathers don't run in this culture. They don't. That would be like me stopping this sermon right now to go to the bathroom. Unbelievable, right? You'd remember it forever. (laughs) I'm not going anywhere. So it's not what you would expect. And it's somewhat embarrassing to what the father is doing because he's not worried about what his neighbors are looking at. Man, what is, what is John running to? Um, he doesn't care about what his neighbors think about him. He's willing to be embarrassed for his kids. He's willing to be embarrassed for his kid and the compassionate father embraces his son. He embraces him before he repents. People, do you understand that? He came, hugged, kissed, loved on him, and he didn't say, I'm sorry. He didn't repent. He didn't go to a dark room and repent to somebody. He didn't do any of that. He just, the father saw him and ran to him. So in this story, this means that the father has been waiting for us. He's patient so that no one will perish. That's what the word says. It says he's patient so that no one will perish, but that all will have eternal life. He's patient. He's patient. And and let me tell you, if he's patient with people who are not even in his family yet, how much more? How much more, son or daughter? How much more is he patient with you? He's patient with you. And he runs to us. The father runs to us. And the father can see a lot farther than any other mortal man. The father sees into our soul. So as soon as our hearts even turns towards Jesus, he runs towards us. You keep inviting that person to church, they, you know, they keep saying no. They don't want to come to church. They don't want to wake up at 10 a.m. and come somewhere on a Sunday. That's, that's okay. God can work with that. If, if they even wake up in the morning and even think about running towards God, God is rushing into that room because he sees more than us. He doesn't, you don't have to be sitting in this seat to, to encounter Jesus. So he runs to us, and the Father embraces us. He loves us even before we confess our sins. He's so good. Our God is so good. Our Father is so good. He works on our hearts before we even utter a word. So, so we have what the, what the younger son's about to say. He's about to talk. Here we go. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it and let's celebrate with a feast. Because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. So the compassionate father addresses the lie of the son, not by just his words, by what he does. He accepts, his, he accepts him. He embraces him. So sometimes it's not just a, a, a text from dad to just say, hey, I love you. Sometimes you just need to go to them and meet them where they're at. 
and love them. And the close and the celebration shows that this isn't, it's not just words, it's actions. And I think it's very interesting that he goes away and probably to party, honestly. Let's just be honest in the room. He probably went so he can go to the club and not get shamed about it. Uh, So he goes off to Vegas to do that. But then when he comes back to the father's house, they have a celebration. So there's joy in the father's house. The party he was wanting, he had it in the father's house. So that's the word. What are you looking for outside of the father's house? He's got it better in here, let me tell you. It's way better party that uh, people of God can throw. I was at summer camp last week. Man, oh, man. It was a big party. Really big party. So you have the, the father's robe, sandals, ring, and calf, or... Maybe it was somebody else's robe, calf, ring, and sandals. Let's keep reading to find out. Now, his older son was in the field. Remember, he has two sons. As he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. I don't know how you can hear dancing, but I guess he can. So he summoned, it must have been a wild party to hear dancing. So he summoned one of his servants, questioning what these things meant. A servant says, your brother is here and your father that slaughtered the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. Then he became angry and didn't want to go in. So here's the deal. The older son is probably having a prideful moment, but the older son is also saying that this isn't fair. Because in this culture, I didn't tell you this other part, what the father has was going to go to the older son. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? Try to say it again. The father was not spending uh, the father's own stuff. It was going to be the elder son's stuff. So when you're putting a robe, a sandal, and a ring and slaughtering a calf, the older son is probably already marked on there, hey, this is for me. I've been eyeballing dad's robe. I love that thing. (laughs) Love them sandals, man. Man, I love that ring. And then he probably was like, wait a second, hold up. Homeboy came back? How did this joker make it to the father's house? Dude was at the club every week. And I've been sitting in life group. And he gets a party? And I don't. Ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. So the passage says his father comes out and is plead and pleads with him. All the elder brothers in the room, y'all need a shout. This is for me. He doesn't wait for the older son to stop throwing his pity party to come meet him. He comes out to him. The father comes out to him. He's, he's, come, he's come out to me before when I'm throwing my pity parties, looking at what everybody else has got. And he doesn't just come out and just look at him and like, bro, come on, come back in the house. He pleads with him. He pleads with him. There's a, there's a level of respect that he's even given the older son, even in his ridiculousness. And we miss this in this culture because leaving a party that you were hosting 
was unthinkable. So again, he is willing to be embarrassed for his kids. He does it for the younger son, and he does it for the older son. So back into the passage, let's hear what the, what the older son has to say. Verse 29, but he replied to his father, look, I've been slaving many years for you, and I've never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, who slaughtered, who, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. A couple things here. The older son says that he's been slaving away for his father. Don't miss this, church. Don't miss this. The older son has been in the house of the father, but he sees himself as a slave. When I realized that when I was preparing for this, I just wanted to lay down on the floor and just take me now, Jesus. Um, How many of us are in the father's house, a part of the father's family, and still sees yourself as a slave? And still see yourself as a slave. You're not a slave. You're a child. You're a child of the living God. You're not a slave. Let those chains fall off of you this morning. And also the other thing is that the older son complains about not having a goat for himself and his friends, even though the father has been with him the whole time. He's focused more on the father's stuff, just like the younger brother, and not on the father. It's a complete mirror of these two things. And we are all these two things at certain points of our lives. We're the younger and the older. We just fluctuate back and forth. He refuses to go into the house because he sees this father's celebration is not fair uh, to deal with someone who has devoured his assets. Honestly, he might be thinking that there is an injustice that's not been reconciled because the younger son should have, have paid for the money that he wasted. But I think he reveals the, his true heart when he talks about the goat. When he talks about the goat, he, he banks on the materialism of it. He's not just have a pure heart of hitting an injustice. And I have done this before. I have been this older brother where I look at people and they come in the church and I think, I mean, how many, how many life groups have they went to? How many times have they went, received prayer? I'm like taking count. And really, my heart is like messed up. My heart is messed up Because it's not about that injustice, really, to the older brother. It's about him. He's thinking that it's not fair. It's not fair. So verse 31, we read this. I'm going to close pretty soon. Son, he said to him, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The father waits, runs, embraces, and speaks words of identity over the older son as well. It didn't matter where his son's word to him regards to proximity. He still dealt with them the same. He waited, he ran, he embraced, and he spoke words of identity. Now, what can we learn from this story? I think from the younger son, we learn this. Love comes at a cost. 
Love comes at a cost. In the story, the cost was from the father and the brother, but in our story, the cost is in Jesus. Love wasn't free. It cost something. It cost a life. Someone died for you. you that's, your, that's your story, that someone died for you. And, and I wrote this down because I want the parents in the room to hear me. We can't parent with cheap love. Because cheap love ain't real love. I mean, let me just be honest. I'm expecting Eliana to cost me something. Probably way more than I feel comfortable giving at times. You keep waking up every hour. I don't understand. I don't understand. See, I'm saying this from the front. Lauren is probably thinking, uh, you're not waking up every hour. I am. This is probably the truth. It is the truth. And the other point that the younger son um, realized, we realized from his character, is that freedom isn't self-centered. The younger child thought that freedom was found in being on their own when true freedom was found in being a part of the family of God. I'll say it again. Brian asked for it. Here we go. The younger child thought that freedom was found in being on their own when true freedom was found in being a part of the family. He got messed up. He got messed up, and he, and he realized what happens to him, and he comes back home, and he realizes where the true freedom is found. Now, the older son, what do we learn from him? The older son, love is unconditional. Love is unconditional. The older son tied love to earning it. That's why it's ludicrous for his younger brother to be brought back into the fold. He at least has to earn everything that he, like, wasted first before we can accept him back in the family. Right, Dad? No. He's accepted, Eddie's getting a piece of your stuff. And we're throwing him a party. So love is unconditional. And we sometimes experience that same tension. When we see those who come into the church, we accuse God of it not being fair. Don't do that. Older brothers in the room at this point in your life, don't do that. Just know that they are loved as much as you are and know that you are loved. And the other thing is I want to say is that we can't parent with conditional love. This is one of the hardest things I've seen parents walk through. I'm not saying that this is easy. I'm really not. I'm so glad Eliana's three months old. I'm so happy. Because when this girl is 16, I'm going to be like, okay, remember what you preached back in 2022 about love being unconditional. Because I've seen parents walk through some hard stuff, and maybe you're a parent in this room, and you have done that. I'm not telling you that it's easy. I'm not. But God has called you to do something. Do you see your parenthood as a calling? He's called you to do something, and if he calls you to do it, he will give you the strength to walk it out. He'll give you the strength to walk it out. But it's okay if you wake up and you're like, I ain't got it today. Because you, know, you know who does got it? <laughs> the church answer, Jesus. You should all got that. Jesus has it. Receive it from him. 
the, the point from the older son that we learn is that freedom is not only a physical condition, but also a mental state. The older child was physically a part of the family, but mentally a slave to his own perception. We can make ourselves slaves even though we are children in the family of God. We can. So the question for you today is, are you living out of slavehood or sonship? Are you serving out of slavehood or sonship? I don't know if slavehood is a real word. I'm going to roll with it. If you Google it and it's not, please send it to me so I can correct myself. Are you, are you serving the church, Isaiah, out of slavehood or, or, or sonship? Are you serving the youth out of slavehood or sonship? Are you life group leading out of slavehood or sonship? Think about this question. So then what do we learn from the father? I'm about to give you a tool that you can use when your kids make you mad in about 30 minutes. I'm about to give you a tool because they really are. Um, he waits, he runs, he embraces, and he speaks. I want every parent in the room, every spiritual mother or father, everybody in the room, because you can do this with your friends and family. Everybody say this with me. Wait, run, embrace, speak. Say it one more time. Wait, run, embrace, speak. He was waiting for both sons. We see the physical picture of the waiting with the younger son, but I bet he knew what his older son was doing because this, this father's wise. He's probably waiting for his older son to realize something that he doesn't even realize about himself. He's like, you're a son and not a slave. And he runs. He runs to both sons in this story. Fathers, we have to learn to run after our kids. We have to learn how to run. And don't put so much weight on your kids that they have to carry up the mantle. Run to them. Embrace them. Embrace them before they even admit what they did was wrong. You might have to learn how to embrace for a long, 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 long time until you hear a repentance. Don't, don't disinvite them from Thanksgiving. You got to learn how to embrace. You better send that text message on their birthday. Don't act like you forgot. Because you know you didn't forget. You got to learn how to embrace. And then you learn how to speak words of identity over your child. He speaks a word of identity over both children. The word that he says, the word of freedom that he says to the younger son is that your actions don't earn your identity. Let me say that one more time. Your actions don't earn your identity. Take this robe. You are not a slave, but a son. And more importantly, you are my son. You're my son. And the word of freedom that he gives to the older son is that your actions don't earn your identity. You have my presence and my gifts. You are my son and he is your brother. So some of us in this room, we have to hear both of those two words. Now, we're going to close here and I want everybody to stand up and the worship team and the ministry leaders to come up. I was pressing into the Lord. He, he told me to leave a good amount of time for this word. I had these couple words that I have for y'all. 
First word is, um, in this culture, the older brother was actually supposed to be the one to find the younger brother. And we have that perfect older brother in Jesus. And so he is running around the room looking for each and every one of y'all that don't know that you're a son, don't know that you're a child. And he's saying, come home. He's saying, come home. And I have a word for the fathers, the spiritual fathers, the mothers in the room. If you feel like you can't be this parent, join the club. Our job is not to achieve this, but it's to receive it from our father. And then for us to try to live that out and then show our children that he's that source. If Eliana grows up and she knows that the father loves her as much as he loves me, I'm more than he loves me. I feel like I've done a good job of being a dad. And the last word is, I got this word at camp for everybody, is that don't let your natural father stand in the way of receiving love from your heavenly father. Because some of y'all in this room, we have all been in the place where we are believing lies. And some of the lies that are being believed in this room is that our heavenly father is as harsh, as distant, as non-loving as our actually heavenly father. And I want to tell you to your soul that's not true. He loves you. He loves you. You, 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 you and all of you. He loves you. And he sees you right now. And I, and I will bank on it. I will put a promise on it that if you come and meet him, if he, he's already running after you, if you hear my voice and this is tingling your heart, that means he's already at the door knocking. He knows where you live. So come to him. Come to Jesus this morning because he wants to fill you. He wants to give you new identity. He wants to free you from your chains. So Lord, we just thank you for this time that we've had together. Thank you for everyone in this room, Lord. We pray, Father God, that you are doing a work right here in the ministry time. I have just been able to set the table for you to do the work. So we thank you, Lord, for ministry to go forth in this house. We give you the praise, glory, and honor for it. In Jesus' name, amen.